1: It's played, before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time, before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins
0: Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So, if you're looking for any type of batteries, whether it's for your truck, your car, your trail cameras, your rangefinder, stop into a local Interstate Batteries retail location. There are thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Talk with a battery specialist and get the batteries that you need to go on with your life. Interstate Batteries outrageously dependable this is the nine finger chronicles podcast brought to you by vortex optics ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the nine finger chronicles podcast I'm extremely tired right now. I'm trying to finish this episode up before I hit the road tomorrow for Michigan and uh, start uh, giving it the old college try up in the, the mitten, as the locals would say. But today's episode is about my trip to South Dakota. Now, the, the BS session up front took a little bit longer than I originally wanted it to, but we got a whole bunch of crap out of the way up front. We recapped uh, our guests today. or I guess a more more of a co-host role. Uh, Bob Polanik, his his elk hunt. We talked a little bit about his uh, trip, you know, his upcoming trips to Iowa, and Nebraska, and then uh, I share a story about me almost losing uh, a big chunk of my main farm down uh, where I hunt here in Iowa, and then we get into the South Dakota recap where I talk about my recent mule deer hunt to uh, South Dakota. So it's a really good episode. I'm going to keep this intro fairly short, but what I do want to say before we get started here and before I do my uh, commercial is that if you are not subscribed to the Nine Finger Chronicles on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast, please do that. I would really appreciate it. Please, uh, follow on social media Instagram and Facebook Uh, I really appreciate that as well especially on Instagram because I put out a lot of unique content out on Instagram as well um, in the stories and it kind of connects here so if you're following along on the podcast and on Instagram then uh, you're kind of getting all of the content rolled into one along with the Sportsman's Nation Instagram and Facebook page as well so be sure you're following all those places And this particular podcast is, let me find my piece of paper here, okay, The Average Conservationist Apparel Line. Now, you guys have seen me wear some of their hats and some of their hoodies, Um, just an awesome apparel line, some really kick-ass logos. Um, I know the owner, Marcus Ewing, he is very passionate about hunting in the outdoors and so he starts this he starts this apparel company called the average conservationist right awesome hats awesome t-shirts awesome hoodies awesome logos all right you get it awesome apparel line but here's what he's doing 10% off the top is going to conservation right and now he started a podcast for 2% for conservation called The Average Conservationist. You should listen to that as well. But What I'm getting at here is not only does he have this apparel line, but the guy behind this apparel line, the guy behind the podcast is a participant. He, it, he cares about conservation, so he's he's not only talking the talk, but he's walking the walk by donating 10% of his earnings to conservation. So it's just a really cool story about someone who wants to make a difference, and this is how he's doing it uh, in, his, you know, in his business life. And uh, I believe he's on in the process of being 2% for conservation certified. Uh, and uh, um, something else I strongly suggest everybody kind of go and, and look into is becoming 2% for conservation certified. And you can do that at fishandwildlife.com org I believe it is or you can go to the average conservationist.com and check out their apparel line and the podcast as well. So that's the commercial. Let's get into today's South Dakota recap podcast with my good buddy Bob Pollannick in three two one. All right on the phone with me again to catch up and talk and podcast, Mr. Bob <laughs> Polanik. <laughs> God, sometimes the intros just really suck ass, man.
1: It's all right. Should I talk that slow?
0: <laughs> well,
1: are you just, are you talking down to me? No. I'm talking down to, you, to your guest?
0: I'm not talking down to you, bud. Um, it's all right. Bob Polanik, how are you doing?
1: I am good. I just finished up a elk tenderloin lunch.
0: Oh, really? Leftovers or is it fresh?
1: Uh, it's. I mean, it had been frozen for about a week, but uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty fresh.
0: Gotcha. So did so you cook fresher. it? Did you cook it at home over the noon hour today or did you bring it into work as leftovers?
1: I brought it into work as leftovers. I gotcha.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. So that tells me that you, well, either that's elk from a previous year or is that this year's elk?
1: That is this year's elk. Okay.
0: That's something we got to touch base on because uh, the last time we chatted, you were getting ready to head out to the West to hunt. And remind us what state you went to. Uh,
1: Montana and Idaho.
0: Montana and Idaho. So let's do a real quick Bob Polanik Talks elk hunting recap. Uh, and uh, let's kind of just get into it. When When did you actually leave?
1: uh like september 10th
0: september 10th okay and you went to montana first then to idaho
1: yep that is correct and uh hunted in montana for about eight days with uh my buddy chris and then um my wife flew out around the 20th she flew out to bozeman picked her up from the airport and her and i headed into uh idaho and we hunted for about Eight days as well.
0: Okay. So, so I know a lot of this depends on where in the country, you know, out west guys were, were elk hunting, but a lot of people said that the, the wildfires affected them in two different ways. One, real smoky and the elk were real quiet and, or, you know, or they were actually directly affected by the, by the wildfires, or indirectly, now it d- displaces all these western hunters to go find another place to elk hunt. Whether that's in a over-the-counter state like like Colorado, or you know the plans, maybe the fires mixed with COVID made them say, "Well, I can't go here this year, so I'm going to go somewhere else." Did you experience any of that out out in Montana?
1: Uh, yeah, Montana, definitely the, the wildfires were pretty intense, just the smoke. I mean, normally elk hunting, you've got, you know, your blue sky with your big puffy clouds. And it's just really, I mean, all day long. I mean, you have your bluebird sky days, too, and you have your overcast days. But um, with the with the wildfires, man, you couldn't even see a ridge that was half a mile away. Man. So it was crazy. Uh, it's just like a constant nonstop haze. It definitely got to us like very minorly, like a little bit of like a sore throat, a little bit of like a constant like runny, dry nose, which doesn't really make sense. But like just like drying your sinuses out and your nose just always like running. Um, and then as far as, you know, elk talking and stuff like that, um didn't really notice it. It definitely was warmer. I mean, the highs were definitely like in the mid 70s every day. Um, and this is like that September, oh, 12th to 18th time range. And I mean, lows were only getting down into the mid forties. And, um, so yeah, we still ran into plenty of elk that were bugling and, um, kind of just depended on the day, but I think, yeah, overall it did seem like by midweek, whether it was the pressure from us or just like the constant smoke. Uh, Cause I don't know what that does to their senses either. Um, But yeah, just things definitely quieted down middle of the week towards the end of that trip in Montana.
0: Yeah. So I would assume that if it is affecting a human in some way, shape or form, it's got to be affecting all animals. Right. I mean, especially if, uh, you know, it's the rut and they're used to running up and down the mountainside chasing cows, I would assume that you know, if you were having trouble with some sore throats, they were having the same kind of reaction.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. But no, we, I mean, we definitely got on some bulls that had probably never been called to, I mean, Montana season, I don't, I don't think they opened till the seventh. And then we were hunting on the, maybe it was, maybe it was a couple days earlier than that, but, uh, and we were hunting by I think the 12th and our first night, um, my buddy and I, we did the all like, you know, rock paper scissors for who gets to shoot or who gets to be shooter first and he won and uh right away that night we got on what I thought was just one bull and my buddy just kept giving me the signal to keep calling keep calling so my first night in the mountains and I'm calling for you know hour and a half straight and I'm not I mean I'm I can call but you know First day in, you feel a little rusty, and you're not sure if you're sounding right, stuff like that. He's just came giving me the signal to keep calling. I'm breaking branches. I'm bugling. I'm <laughs> cow-calling. I'm doing, I'm doing everything. I'm out of breath. I'm calling so hard. <laughs> and finally, the whole thing's, you know, the dust settles, and I get up to him, and he's just shaking. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, that bull just, like, wouldn't come in? And he's like, dude, he's like, you called in four different bulls. And I was like, what? what <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, the elk whisperer I just, right i was like i thought i was just talking to one bull the whole time he's like no dude he's like there's four different bulls that came in so we what we think is uh no one had been in there yet on that exact area and and all those bulls were kind of like wondering who the new guy was who gotcha. the new bull in town was and they kind of just our setup was piss poor we uh, we really didn't have time to set up and uh they kind of just caught us in a, in a funky area my buddy was kind of locked down behind some dead trees and he didn't really have a lot of shooting lanes and then we were on a pretty steep ridge so these bulls would kind of just come to the edge where they could just look down and they would look down they'd see they wouldn't see a bull where all the noise was coming from and they wouldn't even see i mean they wouldn't see any elk where the noise was coming from And they'd kind of just turn around and leave yeah so i think they were all just checking out who was who the new guy was
0: so, gotcha so yeah. what was the uh you know, long story short, what was the outcome in Montana?
1: Uh, so that that a bunch of blown stocks, a bunch of blown opportunities in Montana. It's pretty much how that whole that whole week went. But you were One
0: running day. into them, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. For the, for the most part, we definitely had we had more days where bulls were bugling than we had quiet days. But we definitely had our share of quiet days, um, and we were we were in elk every single day the days they weren't talking we were bumping them you know um we'd bugle and wait bugle and wait then you'd you'd silently stalk down a game trail for 100 yards and all of a sudden you'd look up and 150 yards in front of you there's a herd of elk taken off that just never made a peep yeah so yeah just a lot of that going on
0: i got gotcha. you all right, so then uh, the wife flew in, in, you picked her up, and the, just the two of you went to Idaho?
1: Yeah, that is correct.
0: Okay. Yep. And so, uh, so what happened in Idaho?
1: Um, started out real slow, and we kind of actually had to do, we had to just like bail on the first two spots that we had previous um, knowledge of, and like it was our plan A and plan B we spent a day in each and didn't hear, uh, did not hear a bugle, did not see like fresh tracks or fresh elk poop or anything. So we bailed, and we just started checking out some new areas. And we got lucky that we got into an area, um, and for three, four days in a row, we were getting on uh, bugling bulls every morning and every night. And uh, I think by I don't know fifth or sixth day um we had it was a morning hunt and uh we had bulls bugling all around us and uh, we kind of split up and i was mainly calling for her but you know by day five or six which whatever it was in in idaho i mean i had already been hunting for two weeks and uh we only had a couple days left and it's kind of just like i would at this point just give me some meat to take home i don't care what i shoot and um sure enough had a cow come by at 25 yards and uh all week long man i had been you know you get set up in a bull you know you got a bull bugle or something like that and you're kind of ranging trees and i always guess distances to trees and then i'll range it and just like i was guessing short on everything that your tree would be at 50 yards and i would guess it at 35 or something like that well i saw this i saw an elk moving through the timber i didn't didn't know where it was going to pop out but I basically just came it was a really quick it was moving quick so I just came to full draw um so I was a a nice cow and uh she was at 25 yards I put my 40 yard pin on her and I never like you know mute at her or made a noise to to stop her so as soon as I shot she kind of started walking and uh I definitely spined her right through the old inner loins and uh she dropped and then I had to get up to her and Follow and, up, yep. Follow up shot, which you know, I've spined plenty of uh, not plenty, but I've spined a couple, whitetails before, and you know when you have to do that to them, um, it, it's it's a pretty intense encounter. Yeah. uh With an the elk, they're so much bigger that when they're flailing around, like it's just violent. Yeah. So like it's just a lot more animal. That's just like, it, it was it was intense. But yeah. uh, no, after I got the fo- she she. From the first shot to the second shot to the time she died, maybe three minutes went by. So it wasn't it wasn't terrible.
0: Yeah. But well, uh, and how far were you from the trailhead? As far as where you parked to pack the meat out?
1: Uh, three quarters of a mile, zero elevation.
0: Well. That, amen, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, I was so happy, so happy. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's uh, that's just uh, oh well. If I forget anything, we'll just come back and get it.
1: It was we had her uh, i shot her at like 8 a.m um after like a couple photos and then quartering her out deboning her uh, and getting everything back to the the truck she was on ice by 1.30. nice
0: that's pretty quick man
1: it was like going grocery shopping yeah. fantastic
0: yeah so uh you threw her in the threw her in the cooler and headed back to michigan huh
1: uh, we hunted for a couple more days. I dropped her off at a processor and just, like, paid a rush processing fee. And I was able to pick her out uh, a couple days later. Gotcha. Then, uh, but we hunted for a few more days. My wife actually got to full draw on another cow but didn't have a clear shot. Yeah. And um, we had some really cool encounters that uh, we could talk about at a different time. Just some really, like, just observing some really unique uh, bull elk activity where they do not know you're there. Um, just some things I saw that are just insane, but, yeah. um, yeah, dude, I never thought that shooting a cow would be so damn rewarding. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. We've all shot does I'm sure. And like, I don't know, you know, when someone is like, Hey, how's your season going? And it's always like, Oh, I shot a doe. And it's like, Oh, cool. Yeah. Like nobody cares. I don't know. It's, and it, and it, and it kind of makes you feel like, yep, I got meat in the freezer. It's great. But like, man after hunting for that many days to just finally knock one down and i was like that damn near feels like i feel the bull tag so
0: man and i'll you know kind of changing changing over to to my hunt this is like a perfect transition because later on in my south dakota hunt i was having this debate where man i was seeing a lot of does and i could have put a spot you know, a stock on a lot of does, mule deer and whitetail past, you know, past a handful of uh, whitetail and a handful of mule deer does. But for some reason, I had it in my brain that, you know, dude, you came out here to try to get a buck of some sort, right? I didn't really care if it was a, a two by two or a small whitetail or a four corn. For some reason, I had it in my mind that, I let, uh, you know, I let, I wanted a buck and I let all these does go. And man, there's a little part of me that kind of regrets that now. Like I should have filled my tag and brought home some meat.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat it. Uh, You've got, as far as you know, you've got many, many, many honey seasons ahead of you. And there's going to be seasons where you're focused on killing a buck and there's going to be seasons where, it's just looking to fill the freezer yeah so um i i would not i don't know i wouldn't feel too bad about it i've had those seasons where i've come home empty-handed and it's like ah man maybe i should have just shot a cow or, or shot a shot a doe but yeah yeah it, it ebbs and flows what you want to do and your goals
0: yeah and i think uh this is a perfect time to like transition um so have you did you before we get into my south dakota hunt have you been to nebraska or iowa yet this year or not is that coming up
1: no that's coming up um i've got some cell cams in nebraska and honestly just the last three four days they're finally starting to have um some mature bucks on them but it's been uh it's been pretty hot out there and then i don't have any cell cameras in iowa but um i've got a guy that's that we met out there that is hunting around us and stuff like that. And these, there's some real nice bucks out in Iowa around the farms we're hunting. So that's awesome, man. Uh, but yeah, just been hunting, uh, just been hunting Michigan. Have you, I know we want to talk about your meal deer hunt, but have you been out at all in Iowa?
0: Not one sit in Iowa yet. Um, and this is probably the lo- the longest I've ever gone in Iowa. And to be truthful with you, I don't think I'm going to hunt Iowa for at least another week and a half, because I'm going to Michigan. I leave for Michigan. Uh, let's see, people are listening to this on a Wednesday, so um, I'll be on the road when this launches on on Wednesday. On my way to Michigan, I'll hunt there till Sunday. I'll come back, you know, take care of some business at the house before I ask my wife if I can go hunting. So it may it may be until the twentieth or so until I get to go. I get out into the timber in Iowa and then, you know, once the, once the rut hits, then it's on like Donkey Kong here, I'll be oh, yeah. heading down South. Yeah. So I gotta, I, I gotta tell you a quick story. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty good friends with the DNR officer, um, in the County that I do most of my hunting in and he's been on the Iowa sportsman podcast and we, we chat every once in a while about any, you know, he's not like sharing like top secret intel with me, but you know, it's like, Hey, how's things going out there? Have you seen anything suspicious? And you know, like I, in the past I've, uh, I've turned in a poacher and uh, went through him to, to do that. So we kind of keep in touch and, and chit chat. So he's driving down the road one day and he's looking at his maps and he noticed that there's a name change on one of the farms that he he knows I hunt. So I, he calls me up and he's like, Hey man, did you know anything about this? And I'm like, uh, no, the landowner hasn't told me anything. Long story short about 40 or 50% of the big farm that or the, the land that I have access to in, uh, South of here has been sold and I didn't even know it. And so that take, that took a huge, you know, that would potentially take a huge chunk of land away from me. So like, I mean, I don't know if it, I don't remember what sections or, or parcels they all, they all purchased, but it was like either 500 or 800 acres of ground that oh, is, wow. that is no longer I have no longer have access to.
1: You don't have, you could regain permission. Uh, well,
0: I didn't know at this point. Okay. So okay. I'm like, oh shit two things i you know it's gonna suck not to hunt but at the same time i want to i want to get all my trail cameras and tree stands off that property
1: right right
0: Right. um both you know that both would both would suck to lose so i'm trying to find a phone number to get a hold of one of these guys on the you know on onyx who now own the land and so i ended up uh going to facebook and getting in contact with one of their wives and i'm just like hey you know can I get your husband's telephone number I want to talk to him about this property it says he now owns and he's like well how about you give me your number instead and I'll pass it on to him I'm like okay great do that one day two day three day four days go by and I don't I haven't heard anything so I message again I'm like hey is it I really would like to know what's going on with this property because I have trail cameras and tree stands on this property so finally he calls me up. He's like, "Yeah, me and my three brothers bought it and we're going to hunt it." So I'm just like, oh. you know, before I say I said, "Well, I'm just a bow hunter at the, you know, all I do is bow hunt." Uh and before I could finish my sentence, he goes, "Well, all we do is gun hunt." So nice. I don't so I don't he goes to me, "I don't see another, you know, I don't see a reason why you still can't hunt it." And I'm wow. just like, <laughs> <laughs> Like this primo farm in Iowa that I've been hunting for like 13 years just almost disappears on me. But then these people are still gracious enough to let me hunt, bow hunt on their property. And he's like, well, um, I got it. I got my cousin who's a bow hunter and I already told him he could hunt. But next year I'll tell him he can. I'm like, listen, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. There's a, there is enough ground here for you to let your cousin hunt, right? right? I mean, it's like you don't need to go kicking your cousin off the farm for me, right? There's enough yeah. property where where we can all share and everybody can be happy. I'm just thankful that you're still going to allow me to hunt this farm. Right. Because I thought I was going to eventually lose it. So I had this little moment here where I was just like, oh, my God, if I lose this farm, I'm going to have to go back to, you know, really knocking on doors. And and in the past five to seven years in Iowa, it has become extremely hard where down in that area where I'm from to gain access to private just because everybody now at this point is either leasing um, or has serious bow hunters on their property. Right. So, so I dodged a bullet there. Thankful that these people, uh, let me, uh, let me continue to hunt this property. And, uh, I told them, you know, man, Hey, I'll keep an eye on it. Here's my telephone number. Here's my, uh, here's my, description of, of my vehicles you know I, i'm going to be driving one of two vehicles out there so if you see it that's me if you you know see me if you want to talk to me feel free to call me anytime all, all that stuff and i was just
1: right right
0: whew. so <laughs> yeah
1: that's a big that's a big win right there yeah
0: absolutely yeah. so hopefully yeah. i can continue now to build this new relationship to let them or to let me hunt for several years to come so um i
1: keep, dude keep, congrats
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks bud
1: <laughs> i mean it's dude there's something about getting permission or regaining permission yeah. even on property it's almost like i don't know it gets me pretty giddy i i i re permission on a on a farm out in uh nebraska on my way out to elk hunting yeah and, and uh i was uh, just stopped by shook the farmer's hand just wanted to make sure it was good to go this season and it's like, yep. And you just would walk away with a smile on your face. And I don't even know that these landowners know how much they make your day. Oh, when man. They grant
0: you yeah. Yeah. we're going to get into that here about my South Dakota trip. And I think I got to, we got to quit bullshitting or this is going to turn yep. into a, a straight bullshit se- session. Oh. But, um, oh. man, I, I tell you what, I was jacked to start the drive out there. I left Iowa at like 4 a.m. Um, on whatever day it was that I left, I think it was like the, the 20, no, the 30th of September I left on the last day. And then the goal was to get there with enough daylight to hike in, set up camp and then possibly go and, and spot, you know, a glass a Ridge or something to see what I could see. Well, long story short, I I drive all the way there, get in there and I'm running solo at this point. The guy who was supposed to come with me last year, due to co- due to the whole COVID thing, right. you know, said that he, you know, it was probably the best adult decision to stay there and not have to worry about this year. And it sucked, but at the same time, you know, is what this it is. Was, yeah,
1: this was your buddy from New, New York. York right? Yeah, from Where New York. If he, if he went when he returned he was going to have to quarantine for 14 days
0: right so he would have that had to, that was going to go? yeah he would have had to miss like 15 days of work yeah so yeah, i got you. He, you know a guy can't do that right so he we end up or i end up driving out there set up camp do ever you know real quick drive uh, when i say quick it was 12 hours but it felt quick um yeah get out yeah. there set up camp I, I still had enough daylight to get up in on this ridge glass and started, you know, started glassing. And lo and behold, I spotted up a small buck in about eight does as the sun was coming down, got back to camp, went back to the same, uh, point the next, uh, the next morning. And, um, I had you know, being there the previous year, you have all these spots picked out that you've been to the previous year. All you have to do is go check them out again this year to see if they're, you know, what the deer are doing. Well, it's been really 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 dry out there and it like water was scarce it wasn't gone but it was scarce so that played a huge impact last the last year all the deer were up top and they were coming down into the valley into the drainages this year they were all low where the water was and coming up into the drainages. So there wasn't anything coming off the top like last year. So it's almost like you have to reposition yourself and reposition your way of thinking to glassing low to high instead of high to low. And, um, sure. you know, that ne- that first morning located the same group of does. I think I saw probably about 16 does one forkhorn and then one, two by two. And, um, just kind of watched them all morning long, got into the uh, you know watched them disappear into the drainages that they were heading to bed down and then uh, I ended up taking this big loop and setting on another big r- or ridge or plateau east of that position and uh, was just waiting basically um, just really picking apart the drainages trying to find these bedded deer, And seeing if I could find a buck that got me excited enough to go make a move on. And I'm going to say this, that I've been elk hunting. Obviously, I've been whitetail hunting. And I've been mule deer hunting last year. But this year was the, the year that you really find out the importance of glassing. And sitting down behind a spotting scope and just Working that spotting scope into all the nooks and crannies of, of the terrain that these deer are hiding in. And it's not easy. That's a, I found out, in my opinion, that's a difficult learning curve to try to identify a deer that's not moving a mile away in a shadow and trying to then identify if it's a buck or a doe or. I mean, you're you're looking for things as subtle as kind of a head turn, or right, a ear flicker, or maybe them standing up and sitting down again in the same bed. They're like adjusting. Right, man. It and it, it just it takes and a toll. Brown. Yeah, everything's brown, right. especially this year. Yeah. Last year was green. Right. This year, everything's brown out mm-hmm. there. So, you know. I was confident because we had done the same thing last year, ended up watching a a big buck go in and we shot it, packed it out, whatever, got it. This year, I I was still confident because we were seeing good deer. I was seeing good deer numbers, but but this was only on day one, right? So I have this idea in my head of, oh, man, all I have to do is this and it's going to happen. Well, sure enough, working the spotting scope, I, I notice a little flicker. And... In the right light, a mule deer's butt will stick out from a long ways away because it's a white, a big white hindquarter with the black yep. tail yep. right in the middle. And okay. so so I'm, I'm, I'm glassing and I see this deer stand up and it's right at about the time where they're switching from their morning beds to their afternoon beds. They're like the shade is now creeping in on them. And here in like five minutes, the, it's going to be, they're going to be in direct sunlight. So they go find a different place to bed, uh, you know, in shade. And
1: is that like, is that like a 10 10 a.m. time frame or what time of day is that? Yeah,
0: this was probably closer to noon or one o'clock for for this buck. You know, it it all depends on how much shade is where they're bedding, right? I'm sure it could be more or less depending on wherever their current bed is. But it was about 1 o'clock, he stood up, and f- for like two or three straight hours, he was kind of just milling around this one area on his feet, and then he slowly starts to make his way to the west, uh, no, to the east. And, uh, and he finally, you know, this is this is a, a two- or three-hour thing that where I'm watching him in the spotting scope kind of come by, and he goes into another little small drainage, and I see him lay down. And I'm like, here's my move. So I pack up, drop all the way down into this big valley, trying not to be seen, uh, you know, taking all the low spots to get in, come up to where he's at. And of course, I'm fast forwarding through this, that, that he's a mile away roughly from where I was to where he bedded, maybe a little shorter, three quarter mile. And I had to loop all the way around. So that took me a good 45 minutes. And I and then the and then all of a sudden the wind stops. And it's so dry out there, every step you take, whether you have socks on or not, is just this it's like you're walking on potato chips.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and doing that on a bedded buck, you know, is good not, luck. Yeah, good luck, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm slowly just creeping my way, probably two hundred yards, I'm just creeping my way in on this, uh, on this buck, and it took me, I would say, from the time I got to the top of the plateau to where I was gonna potentially have a shot, it took me probably an hour. That's how slow I went over this 200 yard period. And, and, uh, you know, obviously you can get away with some things, but then the closer you get, you really have to be careful. And so I take this time, look, you know, I'm ranging the bush next to where he was at. And he's in a little deeper, I thought, and I getting back up. And then finally I do the, I get down and I start to crawl a little bit. And then finally I make it to my knee and then I, I draw back and I stand up and there's nothing there (laughs) 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 Like like getting ready to shoot this buck. And I would put him in the one one forties. I posted a picture on Instagram of him. So if uh, you want to get an idea of what, uh, a medium sized mule deer looks like uh, through a spotting scope at uh, a mile away without using a phone scope. Uh, go check out that picture and uh, you get, it, get, it, get an idea of what he looked like. But I think he had some junk on him. I think he had a drop time. So
1: gotcha. I see he's, he's it's the photo where he's walking away from you,
0: it's kind of white or
1: he's facing away, shooter spotted.
0: Oh, no, that was that was like three days in more into the hunt. This is day one. So, um, uh, anyway, maybe I didn't post a picture of him. I know I did on stories. I'll have to, I'll have to try to find, find the picture, but anyway, um, he wasn't there, but the cool thing about this is, and I marked it on Onyx is he, he went into a bed that looked like it had been there for hundreds of years. (laughs) Like it was this flat piece of dirt, With poop in it, with hair in it, with just like flat poop from where they've been sitting and laying there, you know, like for generations, that's been a bed just because it's worked out so well for them. So I got, uh, I was, I was excited after that because I said to myself, dude, I am, you know, if I can get a stock, one stock a day, I felt would be a good, would be a good trip right? Yeah. So the next morning I say to myself, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to this area and I'm going to try to catch them in the morning. Well, I went back to that area as this, you know, I went back to camp, ate supper, went to bed. And it's crazy because everybody's like, Oh man, you know, it must, it must, you must be so tired when you're out there at, uh, you know, sleeping in a tent. I'm just like, dude, I get more sleep when I go to hunting situations like this. Like when I go to Michigan, yeah, I'll be sleeping in the bed of my truck. But guess what? I'm going to be sleeping for like over eight hours straight. And it's going to be glorious because last night at here at my house, I got woke up two times in the middle of the night. One kid jumping on my balls and the other kid, daddy, daddy, <laughs> <laughs> like daddy. It was like, this is a vacation for me guys. Like you don't realize I'm right. going to, I'm coming back. Yeah. I'm going to be coming back from these hunts well rested. So, um, That's funny. Yeah, so I ended up, you know, going back to camp, sleeping, going back to where I saw all these deer, uh, and uh, try to put myself in a position where I could see the deer in the valley, and then the deer in the uh, uh, over in the other uh, area where I had moved to and saw this buck. And over this this three day period, you know, I I could tell that the deer may not have ever saw me or busted me but you can see that you are playing an impact in their environment and they're not as you know they're not as visible throughout does that does that make sense like yeah my yeah, pressure sure. was felt by them oh yeah right yep. and even though i was like 2 miles back from my truck and then there's another day out there where i was a handful of days um you know a hand, you know like a handful of miles past that I was really, I took, uh, on the second day, I took a real big loop all the way around and I looked for water and looked for, um, you know, some, some glassing opportunities. And, and the third day of the hunt, I woke up, did the same thing looking for these deer and I, you know, i saw some, but most of them were does, right. Or very small bucks. And I had it in my head, you know, I didn't want to shoot a, a small buck or a doe at that point in the trip. And every day I was out there, I was seeing less deer and less deer and less deer. And I was just like, well, I'm not seeing what I want. So I feel like I'm going to make a move. So I packed up or I hunted that morning, got back in the tent and or went back to camp, tore down, walked back to the truck and decided I'm going to uh, go back into town, get some gas, loop to the south side of this gigantic 33,000 acre piece of public ground and and set up uh camp and uh try to do some glassing. And so that's what I did. Oh, oh, wait, I forgot one thing. I dropped my phone, broke my screen and had to go into town uh to get it fixed or I wouldn't have a phone. So that's $350 that I didn't want to spend on <laughs> you know on a trip like that. So that quick quick question,
1: were you, were you seeing other hunters or at this point, other guys hunting or like other camps or anything like that?
0: No, at this point, no, because I was back two miles. Most of the people were either in a campsite or they would hunt from the trailhead. They would just walk in and here I am two miles deep. That's where I'm starting my day. Right. Right, So I wasn't running into anybody back there but also the deer just weren't there like they were the previous years right because of the the weather that everything seemed to be migrated more towards a bigger river right okay yep so break my phone go get it fixed don't have enough time to get out into the uh um get out into the backcountry to do some glassing so i set up camp uh shoot my bow a little bit And end up uh, going to bed, waking up the next morning, hiking in from the south of that area and set up on a position and start watching these does pile out of this little crick bottom that I guess you would say attaches to the main river. And they're all flooding back up into the hills to bed. Well, I'm starting to make them. So I drop back. I want to see where these does are bedding and get a good glassing opportunity to maybe there were some bucks in this big drainage with them. And right as I get set up, creeping over this hill, get set up, I'm watching these does through my spotter, they all blast out of there. And that is when everything kind of changed because this was a Saturday morning. And that's when the hunting pressure started. I remember looking over to the right and I see a guy. And he's he's just like walking on top of the ridge, you know, like, hey, let's try to find some mule deer, right? Not and obviously <laughs> that's the first thing I learned on one of my uh on my Nebraska hunt in 2014 was do not skyline yourself ever. I don't care right. if you have to right. go the long way around. You skyline yourself, the game is over. They're they're on alert, right? Yep. So I you know, every time I ran into a hunter this this trip, I just wanted to see what they were doing. So I wave at him. I, I go over, I talk to him. He's like, yeah, we're hunting from that trailhead. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm back over here. So he's like, I'm going to go here. And I said, okay, I'm going to go here. And, and, uh, didn't see anything the rest of the day. So, uh, that's when I said to myself, okay, I'm going to take a drive. I'm going to go do some glassing. Um, go into some new parts of, you know, some new areas that I'd never been before just to get my eyes on some new terrain, ran into another hunter, ran into another hunter, ran into another hunter. I ran into four more hunters throughout the course of the day that led me to the decision of you need to get out of here because everybody that I ran into was from Pennsylvania, Minnesota. These weren't locals that were only going to be here for a couple days These were people who had set up camps. They were, they're there for the next seven days or whatever, right? I got you. So so I said to myself, I got to go. So I had some intel from pre, you know, from last year, Uh, some people had given me some intel about the central part of the state. So I end up uh, tearing down camp because at that point I was just kind of camping out of the back of my truck run into town, grab something to eat, and I start driving east about two hours from, I was like two hours from the border of Wyoming and South Dakota. Okay. Go So somewhere around there, and then I head up. It was dark, so I found a piece of uh, public land to park on for the night. And the next morning I said to myself, okay, I've never been in this area before. This part of the state has less Public land, but more deer, from what I've been told. So I get in my truck. I just, I find, basically, I find a gravel road and I start to drive on it. And Bob, this is the part of the show where I tell you how much I love South Dakota. I cannot believe the amount from this point on in the trip, the amount of does and total deer that I saw. I bet you the first two or 3 days of the hunt, I saw probably 100 deer. The next oh, 5 damn. the next 5 days of the hunt, I bet you I saw 1500 deer.
1: No, are you kidding me?
0: Dude, they are all over the place. Now, with that said, I bet you 1200 1200 if not more of them were does. I was sitting on a ridge one one evening, or uh, one morning, and I I saw four groups of does all over twenty in on one piece of property. Wow. Yeah, I mean they're stacked in there, and it's so, w- yeah. it's so wide you open.
1: You definitely probably had an opportunity to fill your tag in a doe, eh?
0: <laughs> Rocking out, dude.
1: No, give me one. We're going to have to hit pause on this. I got a call uh, coming in.
0: Hold on. Me- yeah, so, I mean, just tons of does absolutely everywhere and very small ratio of of like bucks to does, right? I mean, I bet you, man, I want to say I saw 50 bucks maybe the entire trip compared to 50 yeah I'd say 50 bucks and that includes a day where I saw ten forkhorns, right uh so it was just a real skewed ratio but everybody I talked to says that from South Dakota who are spent any amount of time there has really it's like well the bucks are so good at using the herd to watch for them if okay. that makes sense. So they just sit by, they yeah. watch what the herd's doing. If the herd runs away, they just, you know, they'll do something different. So, so anyway, uh, that, that first day in the new area, I said to myself, well, Hey man, I'm going to, I'm going to go, there's a piece of BLM land. I want to go hunt because I got some, a tip about this place. And so I end up, uh, at, not hunting that morning and deciding to drive, take the morning to drive through there and I saw so many deer a lot of and it was all on public ground except for a handful of you know handful of does so I'm driving up over this hill on my way to this BLM land and I see this big you know alfalfa field and in this alfalfa field had four bucks that I would definitely shoot I'm not going to call them big but they had four bucks that I would definitely shoot so what I was doing was every buck that I saw on this drive, I would mark on my onyx. And my plan was I'm gonna go hunt this BLM. And then on my way back, I'm gonna find property owners and I'm gonna see if I can't, uh, you know, knock on some doors and potentially get some permission on some private. Well, went up, hunted this BLM, and I had a hell of a time. <laughs> Let me, t- I don't know if you ever run into this out west or if you've ever hunted a walk-in, right? So this landowner um, that has all of the property surrounding this BLM has granted his property as walk-in hunting. But from the road 50 to 100 yards in, it's not walk-in hunting. So if you cross that you're trespassing. Then on the other side of the walk-in land is another fifty to hundred-yard gap where you can't cross over to the BLM. So there's in this you know three or four hundred-acre BLM piece it's surrounded by thousands of acres of public. You can't cro- or of, of walk-in. You can't cross over sp- specific lines to get to that. So there's only like two points on this entire piece that you can cross and it is like a long ass way around to to even get into it. And I didn't notice that until I started seeing signs that say, you know, sorry for the inconvenience, but the next however many yards is not public, is not private. So it just blows my mind that this guy is allowed to use his w- land as walk-in, but it doesn't butt up against the BLM that people ultimately want to get to. Right. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. It, it does, yeah. Were you able to get to it?
0: Yeah, I was. But instead of walking some, you know, straight line, I had to drop down into a drainage, walk basically side hill for a half a mile, and then go straight up into where these this one corner, or these two corners, over, you know, overlay. Okay. So... It was just, I mean, it, I did it, but it was a hassle. I wish I could have just walked a straight line, but I guess that's that's normal out there.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that is kind of weird. Made, makes you earn it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it earned me about uh, four does. <laughs> like, all this work, I, I I started, you know, going from ridge to ridge, glass and looking, you know, and I saw four or five does, and that was it. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to go back and start driving this road down. So, um, like, just like I said, I'm going to knock on, knock on some doors for permission. And first door I knocked on, no one was home. Second door I knocked on with all of the bucks in this alfalfa field. Um, no one was home, but all of a sudden I see a tractor coming my way off the ground. And sure enough, it's the landowner and I wave him down. He gets out of his tractor and I ask him, Hey man, do you, I know I saw some deer on your property. I'm curious if you allow bow hunting on, on your property, I would love to have the opportunity to hunt your farm. And he's this like, absolutely. You can kill as many mule deers, you know, mule deer doe as you want. And he's like, all you gotta do is go up and set up by this, uh, set up by my grain bends and you'll shoot one right there. Guarantee it. <laughs> and I'm, and I go, Oh man, that's great. So, um, it's about new, or it's, it's about one o'clock at this point. I needed gas, so I went back into town, ate lunch, came back out, and, and pulled into the opposite side of his farm. And I'm not joking; there are ten mule deer does in this little like dry pond area, just eating and in the shade, like twenty yards from my truck. Really? Yes. And I'm just like to myself, dude. I could tag out right now if I wanted to, but <sighs> in the back of my head, I said to myself, dude these bucks i saw all these bucks i want to make a move on them so i go how
1: many how many days left you got at this let's see
0: three okay three yeah something like that so that night i said all i'm going to do is i'm going to pop up on this ridge that overlooks these two alfalfa fields where i saw the deer and and uh, you know walk and you know those does are always going to be there and i said to myself i didn't want to shoot these does because it was like shooting fish in a barrel it was almost like they were they were the the farm deer that everybody talks about oh they eat out of my bird feeder or they eat my bushes or you know my not
1: exactly why you went to south right i didn't yeah i didn't i
0: didn't go to shoot fish you know fish in a barrel basically so that night i go up to the top of this ridge and of course i'm I'm trying to fit seven days into the rest of this podcast, right? So things happen a little bit slower, but that night, first night of the property, uh, hunting this private piece, I get up there and sure enough, all those same bucks are in that alfalfa field and they are, there's, I identify probably 10 bucks and about 30 or 40 does all come into this alfalfa field. And four of those bucks, I, I wanted to shoot. They were like, they were big enough for me to want to go uh, put a play on. And one of them was a huge three by three. Uh, and it wasn't any splits on it. It was just, it looked, had almost had a white tail, white tail antlers, but just a okay. big tight three by three. The other one was heavy mass, not very wide, not very tall, but heavy mass. And he was, uh, he was a four by four, no brows, and then there was uh, another four by four, just a little bit smaller than him, that was there that I would have shot, and um, uh, and then there was this gnarly looking buck that had like a three point side, but then he had this ball of antlers that were just like I don't know, it looked like a. a uh, a softball with all these spikes coming out of it it was it okay. was gnarly looking and he was half velvet that that ball was still in velvet and the other side it was worked off now remember that buck for later
1: okay so
0: i'm watching these deer and i'm i'm now i'm starting to strategize in my head what i need to do for the next day so my plan is i saw i i drove by the farm and they were there in the morning the next i'm gonna watch them go up into the hills and i'm gonna go Gonna go chase them, right? I'm gonna go try to watch them bed or watch them go back into the, you know, go back into the, um, uh, into the rest of the ag that's in this big flat bottom where they where this alfalfa fields at. So I, you know, I, I put them to bed. All these deer are still eating alfalfa, going to town. I actually got a hotel that night, um, and came back the next morning, and none of the bucks were there, but. A lot of does were still there. I take it back. There was one. Ooh, there was one real small three by three that didn't really get my attention, and all these all these deer the previous night were like hanging around this bale, this big bale of hay, in this clover field next to a, a cottonwood tree. So that morning, I decided to really you know, get up high again, glass and watch these deer kind of end their, their night, so to speak. So that way I could get a full idea of what they were doing from the morning to the evening, back to the morning again. And then this would allow me to maybe identify where some of these deer were at and, um, go into the Hills where they were bedding and, and make a move on them. Well, the, that morning, the, the big deer, those four big deer did not, uh, show back up. So I kind of went on a hike around the property, uh, after, you know, I gave it some time and said to myself, well, they're not here right now. Maybe they'll be back again tonight. So I went on the backside of the property that I'd never been before. Uh, you know, that this guy owned like 3000 acres. So, uh, I kind of went to the backside of this farm um, went up to another hill and, you know, and was just trying to get a good lay of the land and saw a lot of does. Well, that night comes again, or in, uh, that night, the afternoons come. And I said to myself, man, they were all sitting around this big cottonwood tree. So I'm going to, I brought a, I brought a tree stand just in case. So I put a lone wolf, three sticks Up in three sticks and a platform up in this, and I said to myself, "You know what? I am going to sit here tonight in hopes that those deer come back this evening and come right back to the same place than they were." I had the perfect, I had the perfect wind, uh, and so that's what I did. Right, I identified part of the farm, and it was about one o'clock in the afternoon. Sun was going down about six thirty, and I said. I don't got anything else to do. Let's just get to the, the stand early. And it was it was really windy out there the entire time, except for you know a handful of afternoons where it kind of died down a little bit. But we're talking like 30-mile-an-hour gusts the entire mm. trip, which would have been nice on day one. You right. know what I, <laughs> you know when what you I mean? When
1: you are stalking in the potato chips. Right, yep. right. Yeah.
0: So I ended up uh, sitting in that tree stand and – right as the sun goes behind the hills, all the deer start to pile out of the hills. No, none of the bucks. There's one buck. There's, there's two bucks, one small four corn. And he was accompanied by a really small four by four and the rest were does. And they didn't even make it to the greenfield as the, the sun was coming down. So I said to myself, okay, get out of the, get out of there while you can. And, um, so that way I didn't want to bump any deer that were going to be in the green field for the next morning. Well, I get out, go back, go back to the truck and I kind of sneak up behind some bales of hay and watch the rest of the night. And it's just, you know, those same deer, you know, 20 does and two bucks all coming back to this field, light faded, went back into town, went to the hotel, came back the next morning and decided, you know what? I'm going to sit in the same spot again and see if those big bucks come back on a rotation. Cause I had a guy reach out to me on Instagram who was following my Instagram story. He's like, if, if mule deer are visiting a green field and they don't come back, give it some time, they're going to come back. It's a great food, you know, food source for them. Well, I did. So I took this guy's advice, sat there on this Ridge again, you know, I'm probably about a half mile away. And watching this green field as sun comes up and same, same group, you know, a couple, couple bucks, two small bucks and a, a group of 20 does, you know, all kind of fizzled out as the morning set, you know, was there. And I was like, okay, none of these are shooters. It's getting down to crunch time because I have to leave the next day after the evening hunt. And I drop down, go to another big ridge uh, climb up and, and watching and it's still early in the morning, you know, still sun's not a hundred percent all the way up in the sky yet. And I'm watching this other green field. And probably this is where I, I think I saw 200 deer from where I was sitting, just like this, it was crazy. And, and not one of, well, one of them was a, a buck. I guess there was a couple fork four and one big, bigger two by two that at this point, I'm like, okay, I, I would, I'm going to shoot him if he, right. if, you know, if he gives yeah. me the opportunity. So my scale is starting to slide from those four deer that I identified to anything with antlers slowly yep. throughout this day. And so I'm watching, I'm watching this buck bed down. He's actually on a different piece of property at this point. All the deer were coming up into the hills on this private piece that I had access to. So I said, well, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to just sit here and watch what happens. And so I'm, I'm glassing all these little drainages while keeping my eye on this buck. And while I'm glassing, I catch something in, in one of these drainages, probably a mile away. It's a real small drainage And it looked like a huge rack just turning with a head. I knew for a fact it was a mule deer, but I, but it looked at that distance that it had a big rack, really wide, really tall. And I said, there, there's my shooter for today. Right. Well, I see this deer and I, you know, it's very hard to tell at that distance. It could have been a branch. It just could have been coincidence, but it was this I knew I know it was a deer because I'm I'm watching this deer move up into the drainage in these shadows. So I said, all right, it's on the property. I'm gonna backdoor this drainage. I'm gonna loop around. I'm gonna start belly crawling. So I, you know, I put this this game plan together. And so I I loop I get, I drop down off this ridge, go back to my truck, loop all the way around, and now I'm starting to stalk on what I think <laughs> is this big this big mule deer buck. Well, I'm again, I'm on this really brutal stock, right? The wind's going good, which is great to cover up sound. And, and I'm starting to creep over this hill. And I notice all these does bedded under this big cottonwood tree, um, up a little higher up into the drainage. And I'm just like, Oh man, how am I going to do this now? Cause now I'm fighting eyes
1: right all all these
0: all these eyes and that's that's kind of a theme to what started to play out through the rest of that day was that i (laughs) i started putting stocks on these animals and i was getting busted by other deer that i had no idea were there not not necessarily close but like 100 200 yards away and because all these eyes are looking at each other and they're noticing all this movement it starts a bit of a chain reaction where I'm a, a deer 200 yards away is up on his feet, hopping away. And then the deer that I'm actually after sees that. So they stand up and they start running away too. And it's not because they're necessarily spooked, but it's just because that's what the other deer are doing. So I got to do it too. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh man. So, so, so I'm creeping down into this drainage and luckily these, I get behind a tree to where these deer have not spooked yet. And all of a sudden, a doe just shoots out of the drainage. And I'm like, okay, I know she didn't see me. I know she didn't smell me. What's going on back here? Maybe it's a coyote. And um, so I'm creeping. I'm still creeping. And I'm doing this, like, hip, slide, knee, elbow in, hip, slide, knee, elbow (laughs) in thing for, like, 100 yards to get into position behind this tree where I can start glassing. And I see under this tree where this mule deer where I thought this mule deer buck was, I see a mule deer doe. I'm like, okay, that doesn't mean anything. Could be, there's still a lot of stuff I couldn't glass. And this is this is where it starts to get frustrating because you put in all this time and energy in a stock on something that's so far away, you think it was a, a really good buck and then you, you, you creep and you creep and you glass and you creep and you glass and you creep and you glass and then there's nothing else to glass and you just get this sinking feeling where it's like, that two hours that you just spent on this stock or this hour that you just spent on this stock, there's nothing there other than a dough. Oh, man. <laughs> so it, it, and, and that's, that's, you know, I wish I could sauce it up and say, um, that's where, the, you know, that was it, but really that was it, man. I, I put on one more stock on, um, I I ended up just driving through the property, uh, just to get a better look at it. And I noticed all these does up in the shade of this one little drainage. And there was that, that two by two buck from earlier that was there. He was under the shade. So I decided to make a stock on them. And again, another eyes from a different group of does saw me and, um, busted that whole thing up. I, I decided, to go back to the truck for a second, I, I talked with the uh, landowner. I got some history on the farm, talked about actually how much damage those mule deer do to his farm, like eating his trees. Um, they're eating a good, like they eat a lot of his hay throughout the year, so um, it can't go to his cattle. So I almost felt obligated to try and shoot anything at that point. You know, I'd passed all these deer. Um but I almost felt obligated to take at least one off of his property just to help the guy out. You know what I mean? So I ended up, uh, I ended up putting one more stock on on this little four corn and, uh, I'm, I'm, he's at 40 yards. I'm getting ready to draw back on him. And again, a doe pegs me and they both run off. Mm. Mm. So earlier in the, in the week, I get a call from my wife and my wife says, uh, okay, Mac, my, my middle son, my middle child, my oldest boy, he's been misbehaving at school. And my wife seems to think that it's because I'm gone and he misses me. And so he's starting to act out and that frustrated me. So instead of me, like putting a hundred percent of my thoughts and my, I don't know my energy into trying to kill a deer here I am in the back of my head. I'm just starting to feel guilty. Like, dude, you need to be home. You need to be with your family. You need to take care of this issue that your son's having. And I started to really feel guilty of, um, what I was doing for like three or four days. I just couldn't, it was almost like, okay, there's a deer, but I'm thinking about my boy. You know what I mean? It's just like my my head is not where it needs to be to be, you know have the successful hunt. So it's the last evening, it's the last hunt. And I said, well, I might as well hunt that tree stand one more night and if I if there's nothing there, tear it down, get in the truck, start driving home. And I'm walking to the tree stand, real good access, real good everything, and uh the wind is perfect. The deer are already on their feet in the distance, so I'm like, okay, well, it might happen tonight. But as I'm walking to the tree stand, I'm not thinking, you should be quiet. You should, you know, do this and this and this, and here's the strategy. Here's the access. I'm thinking about my son, Yeah. which, you know, is good. You should be doing that, but I'm not 100% focused on being a stealthy hunter at this point. Okay. So...
1: So you didn't you didn't kind of like spot and stalk your way into the tree stand? No,
0: I was just straight up walking in. Gotcha. Right? Because the I previous night I did that and no problem. Well, right. I, I'm about twenty to fifteen yards from the tree stand, and I'm think you know I'm thinking about my boy, my family. I'm not even thinking about the deer activity that was in this the area the previous night, or the pre, the two previous nights ago. And I walk over this little berm, and there stands, or there jumps out of a bed, literally underneath my tree stand, is that gnarly, half velvet, half hardhorn mm. buck, and he shoots out, and he runs, and he runs away. I lay down flat. I knock an arrow real quick. He's probably at about sixty yards, maybe a little closer, fifty, and and he didn't give me much of any time, and he was gone. And I'm just like, oh my God, if I would have just taken 30 seconds to gather myself and really peek my way over this berm, I potentially would have had a shot at this deer.
1: Right. Yep.
0: And um, that didn't happen. And uh, I climb into the tree stand. I'm like, okay, well, there's a chance if he's in the area. Then the other bucks that he was with the other night might be in the area as well. And they may work their way in here. And just as I sit down into the tree stand, here comes a combine to mm. combine that alfalfa field. <laughs> I was just like, Ah, it's a sign. Yep. That's the sign. So I tore down the tree stand and got in my truck and started heading back to Iowa, man.
1: Man, that's tough.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But dude, there's, there's plenty of lessons to be learned.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: I mean, do you think you're going to go back there next year or even, I guess even if you don't go back next year, if you go back in a couple of years or whatever,
0: I'm going to tell you, got,
1: you've got some great Intel. Yeah. On a Sweet area.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a big takeaway. This year I learned a ton about how deer move through the Hills, how they go about their daily routines Right. Um, these these bed to food patterns that they're on, what the bucks are doing versus what the does are doing. All this like all this stuff. I learned so much uh from the from this that week I was out there that's gonna help me be successful next year. That's the goal anyway, right? So yep, um yep. that on top of I'm starting to fall in love with South Dakota, dude. Like yeah, it yeah, is sure. an absolutely beautiful place with a very target rich environment if you just want to go out and you know i don't know whatever you want to do right. if you want to fill the freezer if you want to shoot some, obviously there's tons of opportunity for does out there where i was at nah I, I didn't see a slammer big buck like we did last year but i saw some decent some decent deer that i would definitely want to shoot um I saw a mega whitetail one day and I, when I say mega I say probably mega for any anybody. He's probably in the 150s as a clean 10. Um, Were
1: you So did you so for South Dakota do you have just a general deer tag or is it me like mule deer specific?
0: No, it's uh it's any sex or any species okay. tag so I could uh okay. I could shoot a whitetail with it or I could shoot a mule deer with it.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: But dude, I I, I As long as I can, I'm going to go to South Dakota every single year for the the rest of my life. Like, I love that. And the cool thing is, is I built this connection with this landowner now to where, you know, might be able to go and hunt his property next year, you know, and go find out through all these connections that I've made through relationships with people and through my own scouting and Intel, put the piece of the puzzle, put more of the pieces of the puzzle together that get me into better. I guess you would say higher caliber bucks because that's what I'm looking for. Right. But next year I'm definitely filling the freezer last day. I have to tell myself unless I have a a deer pegged or I'm moving in on a, on a buck, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot a a dough and fill the freezer so um I, there's a little bit of, of me that regrets not taking one of those easy shots you know what i mean but yeah. it is is what yeah. it is
1: oh yeah for sure for sure um i've got a few questions for you yeah uh first one uh using a spotting scope that much yeah did you have like any sort of like vision fatigue or like headaches or anything like that. I've heard that that can happen.
0: Yes, absolutely did. Yeah. Um, to the point where, you know, it's like, I'm looking through my spotter scope, my spotter. I got one hand over my eye or just like my thumb. So my other eye, I don't have to squint. Okay. I'm looking through. So I eventually had to start doing that. But then there was times where my, my vision wasn't like correcting properly because I've been looking through the spotter or my binoculars, not so much with my binoculars, but looking through the the spotter one eye so much that it just, my vision wasn't like bouncing back after a long spotting scope session as quickly. Like it would take me a minute or so to, to blink my eyes and, and really focus back. So absolutely. I mean, doing that is not, it's not easy in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I hear, I hear that's where the difference between like, a thousand dollars spotting scope versus like a $3,500 spotting scope comes into play. Yeah. I, man. I don't, I've never, I have like a $500 spotting scope, so I have no idea, but I know that even with the limited use I've had with my spotting scope, five minutes at a time, I look away and it's like, woof, like you're saying, trying to get your vision back. Yeah. It, uh, it definitely takes a minute.
0: And I, I will tell you this, you know, Vortex is, is a partner of the nine finger Chronicles podcast but they make some really high quality equipment man like nice. the the spotter the viper hd that i took out there was superb right nice. it, like even at, even at light last light i mean easy to focus easy, easy to zoom in easy to learn how to use it's just it's just what you're looking for is the learning curve behind it so obviously yeah. like you said the better the the higher clarity of what you're looking through it, plays a a big role but learning what to look for plays a huge role as well
1: do you think that uh moving forward you'll get like a phone scope to kind of give your vision some relief
0: yeah i had a phone scope there and i didn't use it because if i wanted to zoom in and zoom out and you know go to the next spot and do all you know do all these things i had to continually adjust the phone scope
1: yeah I know. You so mean. the
0: only time I really used the phone scope was when I wanted to take a picture of something gotcha and even then it just it just I don't know it just kind of seemed like more of a hassle to play around with it
1: I hear you I I kind of agree it's it's just wait it's just qu- I guess quicker more efficient yeah. to just look through it yourself
0: yeah um, plus my battery, question. my battery on my phone oh, yeah. was going so fast anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, another question was, uh, you did quite a bit to, uh, I don't know, lose weight, get in shape this year. Do you, think, <laughs> do you feel like that, uh, your fitness paid off?
0: Quite yeah. A bit? Uh, I'm going to say yes. Like yeah. I lost 20, I lost 26 pounds since June, um, through that, through that class. And, Then that, and then I continued to do, man, I had like an arm injury, uh, just really didn't recover and I couldn't continue on that same path at that same, uh, with that same momentum, but I still went to the classes. Uh, I I didn't watch my diet as much. So I I bet you I gained four of those pounds or so back, but to answer your question, absolutely 100% losing that 25 pounds was amazing. I was I I wanted to keep going and keep going. I had the endurance, I had the stamina, I had you know my legs were stronger uh, than than last year, and it it made things easy out there compared to last year. I mean I, I I had no problem doing what I what I wanted to do.
1: Do you think it helped at all with like uh, gave you like a mental toughness edge too?
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you this. They say this about gear, but it's also the same about your physical conditioning is where, for example, my boots. I didn't even think about my boots while I was out there because my feet were comfortable. Well, what's that mean? That means that those boots are doing their job, right? My body was doing its job because, yes, there were some times where I would huff and puff up a really steep incline for a long period of time, but. I was, my body was functioning to where I was thinking about things other than my conditioning. Yep. So I, I was, I was very happy with how it all went down and, uh, man, I, uh, the cool thing, the whole cool thing about this is yes, it, it made me more efficient and effective while out, out there. You know, I could, I don't know, I could sit longer. I could move, you know, move, be moving, looking for deer, you know all these things and uh moving from spot to spot to spot and covering all my bases but at the same time i'm just excited to get back into the routine once i get back from michigan and then for for you know two weeks and then get into the iowa rut where i won't work out at all and then back to you know back to that routine afterwards and just be a healthier individual
1: right so i I hear you yeah Yep. yep um Last thing, I don't know if this is a question. Yeah, I guess it'd be a question. Have you thought about talking to your wife and uh, I guess essentially having her lie to you while you're out there and (laughs) and basically have her, I mean, I don't know if you've communicated how much stuff with your son weighed on you the last couple of days. And she probably might have the uh, opinion of like, well, good, you're a father, it should. Yeah. But on the flip side, to make your time away from home hunting, uh, I mean, more efficient for you, or keep you focused better, have you had a thought of like, hey, like just lie to me until I'm on my way home? Yeah, if there's if there's issues, just keep them. Like I know it sucks that you got to deal with it on your own. Underplay them
0: a little bit, yeah, unless it's an emergency.
1: yeah because like what we do we don't have service where we elk hunt yeah but my buddy's got one of those in reaches where you can get text messages in and out so he sends a text to um, his parents and my parents every night when we get back to camp and it's normally like um still hunting haven't shot an elk yet we're safe and basically we like that gets sent out every night just our our folks know or our wives know what's up um but the other thing is that we tell our parents hey if if there's like a death in the family or something like that, like don't, don't send a text. Cause you can receive text on those two. Yeah. Like don't send us a, t- don't, don't tell us until we're off the mountain. Yeah. So, cause like, it's not, you just don't need to be thinking about that. while yeah. While you're hunting.
0: Unless so. it's, unless it's a get off the mountain now and come home type of deal. Yep. Like, yep. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, man. I don't know. It's just three kids. By, oh, yeah. You know, like, I, I, she, I, mean, right, right. I, I completely understand where she's coming from, but at the same time, it's like, I don't need to hear about it. Like, this is what we talk about. This is what we plan for. It's like, I know you're, you're, you're struggling. I know that you're, but it's almost like, and I hate to say it, but it's almost like I'm getting browbeat a little bit from you know it's like hey you know you're not here you're out having fun you're doing all this stuff blah 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 and here i am doing this 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 like yeah i i thank you i get it but don't like now i now i feel like shit now i feel now i feel guilty for not being with my family when you know i hate to say it but i deserve this I, I work hard. This is my passion. I don't get to do it all the time, right? It's not like
1: well, you you can't you can't run Sportsman's Nation and then not go hunting,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I try to tell her that too. <laughs> so, so you know, it's one of those things where I'm to the point now where I almost want to just stop listening to her this time of year because it's always bitching that comes you know, starts to come out of the mouth. And this is probably a little bit deeper than the normal podcast goes into the relationship with their significant other. But uh, I'm sure it's relatable to a lot of people where the hunting season gets here, it increases stress in the other person, which means that it's now increasing stress to me, which means that I'm not able to enjoy this time of year that I basically long for all year long because someone else is chirping in my ear about some shit that quite frankly doesn't really matter. Handle it. Just, yep. just handle it. I'll yep. be back soon. And guess what? I'll go back to being this great human being that you tell all your friends about, <laughs> you know, like
1: it wasn't, it wasn't long ago that men went on hunting trips. not men. I, I can't say it that way. It was not long ago that significant others went on hunting trips for a week or 10 days And they never once talked to their spouse back home. So, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't have kids and my wife hunts and I still have, I still get the guilt trip. Yeah. Oh, you're doing what you love, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, I am. But like still freezing my dick off in a tree stand or something But it doesn't matter
0: that That, like, I can't, there's nothing that I can say to her that's going to replace me being there. Right, yeah, so oh, for sure, <laughs>
1: so and, and and to her credit, she's watching three kids, and yeah, yeah, so. so
0: it's just one of these things where I think over time, my best thing is just to ignore it and let it get to the point where I feel like I'm a good enough husband and a good enough father that i that I'm doing a good enough job, I'm doing a good job the the other eleven months out of the year that it would really. Like how much, and I remember asking her this, I go, how much would I need to fuck up in one month, right? In October or November, half, pretty much half in in a four week period where you would leave me, right? (laughs) How much, how much hunting would I have to do in that period of time where you would have to be like, whoa, I'm done with this shit, right? Like, like (laughs) it's, it's over. Yeah right how many bridges would i have to burn down and i'm i don't i trust me i could hunt way more than i do right but i don't because i like to play my cards right save my brownie points right make sure that there's some resemblance of a bridge to cross back into the real world once i once i get back but it's just frustrating this time of year because as soon as i'm done hunting everything goes back to normal right and it's just like well I hope you know all this is it's it goes in a circle because in 11 months, the same exact thing's going to happen. The same exact thing. Oh, well, where are you doing? What are you going to, I got the kids. Well, I'm just like, yeah. I just can't wait for my kids to be able to wipe their own butts by themselves and feed themselves to the point where my wife can, you know, she doesn't really have to, she, she, my kids are going to be able to take care of themselves is what I guess I'm trying to say. Yep. So, yep Yep. that was south dakota and and that was a little <laughs> that was a little insight into my personal life uh thank you for that bob <laughs> hey,
1: no I, I mean that's not exactly where i was going with it but yeah no it's,
0: but uh, uh, but it's the truth uh you know obviously a majority of the people who listen to this podcast are men uh i would say 93 percent, if not more uh are that's what the demographic says on uh um some of the analytics that i have and so i know that that story right there probably made another guy who's listened to that go i'm glad i'm not the only one going through oh yeah you know what i mean so
1: there's more than one
0: yeah absolutely so sure and that's not to bash women it's just you know it's just a that is what goes on this time of year and it's not it's not fun (laughs)
1: Yeah, I always tell my, like, if you, if you want to go take a week, you know, one of those other 11 months, 10 months out of the year, you want to go take a trip where you're just with your girls and you're having a good time and I'm at home working, go do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna, like, I get it. I get, Yeah. I get how much fun you're going to go have. And I will, there's nothing I'm going to do or say that's going to make you think twice or feel bad about it. Right. Just go do it. Because I know what it's like to be the guy on the trip having fun.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. The last
1: thing you want is thinking about how, you know, a bad conversation with your wife at night before you go to bed. It just yeah. it weighs on you. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. You know. Yes, sir. Uh,
1: uh, and then the other thing, real quick, is uh, good luck in Michigan, dude. Oh uh, you're hitting the weather front. Uh, I know. Head on, dude.
0: Things are lining up in Michigan because be awesome. the one of my contacts up there. This guy I've kind of been uh, communicating with, who's kind of pointed me in the direction of where I'm gonna be going. He's like, he's not the only guy who's told me about the cold front. Like the cold front, I'm gonna be riding the cold front in, and like I think uh, I'm I'm gonna get there on Wednesday. I'm gonna hunt th- Thursday. I think Thursday's supposed to be like this potential drizzly high of 50s type day where it could be it could get deer on their feet man potentially oh yeah so oh, for sure that and uh some of the Intel of the deer that are running around on some of these public pieces man's got me got me jacked to uh make my way up there and uh just start doing I've never I never thought there'd be a day where I would have I would hunt in Michigan before I would even get a tree stand any tree stand time in Iowa Yeah, it's actually, that doesn't make any sense. That's why on one of those previous podcasts, I was saying, I'm going to say this two times so you guys understand me. I'm leaving Iowa to go hunt Michigan. But uh, I tell you what, man, there's a lot of people out there who are really rooting for me and uh, I really appreciate that because uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that want to see me be successful just so that the whole vibe of michigan is a shitty place to hunt doesn't have any big bucks that vibe kind of goes away right so i'm excited to get out there i'm going to be grinding for the the, the entire time that i'm out there i'm going to hunt mornings and evenings every single day you know of course you know unless there's some kind of uh violent weather that's going to keep me out of the the timber or I break a femur or something like that. Knock on wood, that doesn't happen. But uh, I'm gonna get out there and I'm gonna give Michigan one hell of a basically Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, I'm, see that's if we break it down by hunt, it's gonna be two, four, six, eight, eight tree stand sets uh, to nice. try to, to try to get it done in Michigan. So
1: perfect, dude. Well. Yeah. Good luck to you, man, and I'm glad there's a nice cold front coming for you and you're not hunting uh, when it's 75 out every day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Good luck to you, dude. All right, thanks, man.
0: Well, uh, thanks, Bob, and we'll uh, talk to you later.
1: Sounds good. See you, Dan.
0: And there you have it, another episode in the books. Huge shout-out to Bob for taking time out of his day. Huge shout-out to the state of South Dakota, for being an awesome place to hunt with beautiful scenery, all that all that good stuff. Huge shout out to the average conservationist, Vortex Optics, Ozonics, Wasp, and Vortex and Lone Wolf Tree Stands. Um, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because not only are all of those brands... Uh, you know, they offer badass products, but they are participants in the sport that they market to. And to me, that's that, that's a big thing. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Have a good day. Be kind to one another. Go out. Enjoy the fall. It only comes once a year, man. And uh, we'll talk to you next time
1: i <laughs>